This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Another Comic-Con has come and gone. It's episode 480 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. This is part two of my coverage from San Diego Comic-Con. Going to be full of interviews and reviews. So, as a matter of fact, going to be joined by the producers and director and a couple of the writers of Justice League War World, which is now available from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. Of course, this part of the Animation Guild, so they were able to talk about it and not break the strike. So very exciting to have them on. Also going to have the creators of Teenage Youth in Asia, season two now streaming on Adult Swim. So I'll talk to Al- Alyssa Nutting and Allison Levy about that. Also, David Bray, vice president of brand and marketing of Funko, going to talk to me about all the stuff that happened on the show floor, what's maybe to come. going to talk about Pop Yourself as well. Yeah, there were some more activations that I did, so I'll talk about Adult Swim and Jury Duty and National Geographic Party. I'll give you my winners and losers from Comic-Con and some of the biggest news they came out of the event as well. I'll even squeeze in a review of Secret Invasion's season finale just because, you know, I wouldn't want to skip over that even though it had nothing to do with Comic-Con. It's, it's something that people are talking about, and I want to throw my t- two cents in for sure. But let's talk about Justice League War World with the director, the producers, one of the writers. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO. And you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who said there were no big movies at Comic-Con? Justice League War World had its world premiere at Comic-Con from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. But before that, I actually got a chance to be in the press line for the movie to talk about to some of the creative team about the process behind it and how it came about, bringing the Trinity together, all those things. I want to say before I air these interviews that these were conducted under the eyes of the Animation Guild. So, you know, no strike breaking going on here or anything like that by any of the participants involved. And I want to actually start by talking to director Jeff Walmaster, who has been a big part 
of putting this whole thing together leading up to Justice League War World. All right, so I'm in a lot of excitement around Justice League War World, not just because it's Justice League, but you as the director, does it feel like you were kind of directing three different stories at one point? Because we've got three different stories that are going to converge on this. Yeah, no doubt. It was, it, was, it was exciting. I've never got to do that before, three different styles in one movie, but also I haven't gotten a chance to do each one of those styles individually. So it was challenging, definitely. Made for a lot of sleepless nights, but it was also like one of those rare challenges you get to do as a director or a storyteller or storyboard artist is any any one of those. So it was a huge opportunity and super exciting. This is the chance where we get to bring the big three together for the first time in this universe. Mm -hmm. And not just those characters, though. What was it like to bring these three actors together that, that are just so fantastic individually? Mm -hmm. Now you got to work with them all together mm -hmm. as well. It was great having the chance to put them up, up, on, up on film. They all have a quite a bit of gravitas, you know, when they're on screen, when you're boarding them. And it's, it's really inspiring because you, you'd be surprised, like, with really good, strong acting through it it really affects the boards. It really affects the artists that walk into each one of these scenes and how you express what's gonna happen in those scenes, so. Can't wait you know. to see it. Great. Can't wait to see it. It's gonna be an amazing movie, Justice League War World. Thanks. Go see it, Jeff Walmister. Thanks, man. Another one of the architects that's been putting this thing together for the last several movies is executive producer Butch Lukic, so you know he's gonna have some good insight into this one. So Butch, you're finally bringing the Justice League together officially in this in this brand new universe you guys have set off a few years ago. Yeah. Why was now now the right time to kind of bring everybody that core unit together? Well, the Justice League was formed earlier. The first time you actually do see that there's a Justice League is in the Green Lantern episode, mm -hmm. where we go up to the Watchtower, where John Stewart first see they're already they've already been around for a few years. But this is kind of like the point where Wonder Woman becomes a Justice League member eventually. So that's kind of like bringing the bits and pieces like a jigsaw puzzle. That's the storyline that we've been approaching. You know, we've been going, there's things off screen that we never were able to do. So we're kind of like moving and picking, cherry picking what we need to move our story towards where it needs to go. Absolutely, and you're kind of putting these core characters in different scenarios that we don't normally see them yeah. this way. What went into the decision to do that and kind of put everybody in different different situations? Well, originally we pitched it that we were going to have them, Superman and Batman, it was called World's Finest, and they were going to be, it was going to be based more on their adventures in those comics that they did together. But as we went along with our earlier storyline, we realized, okay, we need this, this, and this, and we do need Warworld in our story because of what it, the power that it brings to what's necessary for us later on. Talk about bringing that war world setting into this animated film because that had to be a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, that was right now, this is the toughest cartoon or movie that we've done up until now. I mean, Long Halloween was tough in a different level, but you only had Batman and Catwoman and Joker and then you had the uh, rogues gallery in part two, but this is like 10 times that, you know, in production design and everything else. So I heard you mention World's Finest, and now I have to ask, is World's Finest, some sort of World's Finest project still on the table maybe for the future? No, that was just our working title, because we pitched this about five years earlier, so once we got to here, then we realized it's gonna be War World, so that's why we changed the title to War World. Excellent. Well, we can't wait to see it. It looks amazing. Butch, right. thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate well, thank it. Thank you.
Not gonna lie, I was kind of bummed that Butch kind of, you know, killed my dreams for a world's finest movie there. But you know, you never know what can happen in the future. Next up, I was so happy, and I'm always love talking to producer Jim Krieg, who's been a part of so many of these movies, even dating back to the Tucker movies before. So I had to ask him about that too. We've been doing this for a while, you and I, Jim, and, and you've never let me down yet. So well, I like that. It's always so, the first time. Well, let's, but it won't be this time. Well, let's talk about this one because now they tell you that. Okay, we're going to have you tackling Justice League War World. What's your reaction when you find that you're going to get to work on a project like this? Well, I, you know, I don't think they didn't tell us anything. It was a Butch and I figuring out what do we want to do next, and and it felt like it felt very natural to have to do a Trinity story after not doing one in a long time, and we also had a real yen to visit elements of the DC universe that we hadn't seen before, like the westerns and the sword and sandal stuff and the horror stuff. And and War World seemed like a really a perfect milieu to... Uh, the French is coming out. <laughs> I, well, I do a lingo a little bit. <laughs> and and it, seemed, it seemed like a real natural fit to be able to visit those worlds but still tell a cohesive story that involves our, our trinity... And then, and then they'll be able to come together at the end and face a, a big threat. How do you work with your other writers on something like this? Obviously, because I you got them. like Jeremy. I, I beat them. I well, just, I'm merciless. I just assumed that was what, what <laughs> was with you and Jeremy because you've been working together for so long. And Ernie. And uh, Ernie. But uh, how, how does that work with, the th especially when you've got these three distinctive stories you have to tell and then bring it all together? Well, it was really fun. Josie Campbell and Ernie Altbacker and Jeremy Adams have all written on these before they're like a real dream team and this felt a little bit like a victory lap that well here here we have an opportunity to use all the writers they all get to you you know tell their distinct story with the beginning middle and end and then they'll all join together it's, it's, it's like, it ends up being like a a jam session and everybody gets a solo which is great i just thought of that right now no, i like not, that i, I just, like it i like I just, it because i'm a writer you know you were part of the previous iteration of the dc animated movies that kind of concluded with apocalypse war yes and now you've kind of you all have kind of started over so you've been part of both worlds how do you feel like this current iteration has progressed compared to the previous iteration when you all first started that i would say that the tuckerverse dipped into DC and said, I want to tell this story, I want to tell this story, I want to tell this story, and then, you know, all building to Darkseid. And this this has a similar element to that it's all building to something, but that the pieces, maybe it was not so apparent when you're watching the movies individually, but knowing what our end game was, our end game, <laughs> if you... If you we if we reverse engineered it all the way sure. back to Man of Tomorrow, so you'll see things that are seeded in that first movie that will pay off, you know, at the end, at the bitter bitter end. After the animators are so exhausted, they're all ready to kill me. Well, we can't wait to see what the payoff is for Justice League World World. Jim, thanks so much for Thank taking you. the minutes. Appreciate you. that. And finally, speaking of those writers, Jeremy Adams took a couple of minutes with me, so I had to ask him about this, but you know, I couldn't resist asking him a comics-related question, too. So here's that. Justice League War World. You've been writing these movies for what seems like forever. You <laughs> yeah. and Jim, you guys can't uh, get away from each other. Yeah, I know. But you, you wrote in the previous universe and this one as well. I asked Jim this. I want to get your take on it as well. Yeah. How has it been writing in this post-Tucker-verse universe that you all have created, the Tomorrow-verse, Jim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with Butch, it's like... The funny thing is, I've been writing a lot of stuff with Rick Morales, who's my generally my partner on a ton of movies. True. So being able to do something that's kind of like an incontinuity universe is really exciting to me, number one. But you're dealing with Butch, 
Lucic, who is like a genius on all levels. And there's a sophistication to this that that I wouldn't have done because I'm a, I'm a nut. I just want to do schlock, you know. But he pushes us to do something a little more sophisticated and interesting. And and and, and it's always thrilling if I can. It, he classes up the joint, you know. So I'm glad to be part of something that's a little more above my mental pay grade. <laughs> of course. And you've got War World that you're dealing with. You've got these three distinctive stories. Yep. What is it like between the three of you as you're writing this thing and knowing you have to bring these things together but also have these three separate stories that all have to be interesting as well? I mean, we do the hard work when we're in the room talking to each other about what it's going to be. And then it's really up to Jim Creek to make it all sure it all works. <laughs> Jim, it's your job. <laughs> yeah, it's totally his job. And, but it's, 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 not, it's not that hard because Josie Campbell and uh, you know, Ernie are such solid pros you don't have to worry about what they're going to do. So. No doubt. Now, obviously, we get the Trinity together, finally, for the first time in this universe. But were there any characters that you were kind of hoping to be able to include in this one that you just weren't able to? No, no, no. Because I, the fact that I got to do Warlord is really kind of obscure, and I don't even know if he's ever been in animation form. So. Or any media form outside of comics. I don't know. Speaking of comics, I got to get this in. How excited are you for Green Lantern? Oh, please! I, I've been I've been enjoying it coming out, and it's been a it's been a miracle. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank Keep you. being awesome. Thank you so much. And the thing about Justice League War World is the way that these styles kind of dance with each other. You get to see these characters in a, in a little bit of a different light, so in a way you wouldn't normally see them, which is cool. But then the way you watch it all come together, I guess Jim Creek did his job because it really does come all together in this thing and it and it is yeah, like they were saying a cohesive story and it really has that big story feel maybe not as much as apocalypse war did because that was the ending of like a 10-year run but this one certainly has that feeling of a okay here's our first big one as we set you up for more down the road it definitely had that feeling and I and if you are not on these DC animated movies from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment yet, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know. Stop wondering. I've been telling you this for years. These are movies you need to be watching. This one is a perfect example of that. Justice League War World, available on digital HD now, also available on 4K physical media. You know I love my physical media, so that's usually where I gravitate to. But, you know, you've got certainly plenty of options on how you could see it. Again, thanks to the wonderful creative team behind Justice League War World for joining me at Comic-Con to chat about it up next. I'll stay with the animation and I'll talk to the creators of the Adult Swim series Teenage Euthanasia Season 2 streaming on Max right now and on Adult Swim. I'll talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm writer Margaret Scott and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you can see we're at Comic-Con here 2023, July 26th is the day. Season 2, Teenage Euthanasia comes back to Adult Swim. Also going to be on Max, by the way, as well. And I just happen to have Alyssa Nutting, Allison Levy here, the creators of the show. How are you both doing? Amazing. Thanks so for chatting. Fun. I've had a good day. So if you're seeing this on video, you can see the amazing looks that they have going on right now. For anybody that might be coming into the show fresh, though, because maybe you're seeing it on Max for the first time, do all we need is embalming fluid and tears to bring people back? What's the deal here? You need, like, the very... You need lightning. Oh, of um, corpse. You need lightning corpse. is key, yes. Um, it's great if the corpse committed suicide and had previously abandoned a baby that is now living at a funeral home where the corpse was sent. And, you know, then you need the, the pure, unrequited love of a daughter. But then you can come back. Yeah. So for season two, season one was, you know, off the wall, crazy. Do you feel like season two may be a little bit more? 
yeah, we have more episodes mm -hmm. and we get to like go to more places because we feel like we established the characters really the first season and now we're just free to like really let our imaginations go in like every creepy and exciting place they they need to go yeah we never got to go to the drive through sperm bank you know in season one <laughs> there there's just a lot of ground you know that that we finally get to cover this season it's very fun i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this first episode of season two i think is my favorite so far i think it's just mm -hmm. such a good episode it's such a trophy and annie episode talk about putting that specific episode together because it's it's incredible I've made a lot of TV and that episode is the most personal thing I've ever made in my entire life, believe it or not. I, I have teenage daughters and especially my older daughter. I, I you know, she's, she started high school last year and I was really pressuring her to go to parties. I, I, I just couldn't stop myself. I had a lot of really fun and good party experience <laughs> and I just, I forced her to go to a party with underage drinking. <laughs> Wow. And, and she she like was like fine you know and then she went and I was just, how was it and she was like boring and I was like you're not doing it right but you know I I think a little bit of that and just you know kind of one I have a really great friend group from high school who I love and just the idea of being able to go back in time like if I could do that I would <laughs> It's very true to me. And then the way the show goes where, you know, we're, it's Annie's mandated to do this by the yes. state of Florida because she's not resilient enough. So it also crosses paths with all this kind of resilience training they do for teens nowadays and that Florida would choose to make it a party-based curriculum to build resilience. is like, to me, the, like a perfect teenage euthanasia kind of story. I have to ask this based on that. Are, are we saying that maybe, maybe Trophy's actually a good mom? Is this, is this possible? We're not saying that. No. <laughs> She's not a good mom, but she is a mom. And that's, I think, you know, one sort of statement of the show, you know, is just you're, you become a, a mom by, you know, giving birth to a kid. And sometimes you're not great at it. But and she does decide to stick with it. She, she has the that is true. in this episode to undo it, and she doesn't. She doesn't want to go back and raise Annie. That's also very clear. But she, 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 will, she is a mother. That is correct. She's yes. a mother. So kind of lost in all of this is, is the, also you've got Baba and you've got Frank as well. Talk about that dynamic a little bit heading into season two as well, because I feel like it's, it's easy to focus on Annie and Trophy, but those two I think are, are really fun together as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bob and Pete, you know, I mean, this sort of like anxious attachment avoidant attachment dance, you know, that that Annie does with Trophy. Pete absolutely does with Baba. I think so often you see like mothers, you know, who are just like very needy, you know, and just like want nothing more, you know, than just like see their adult sons more and are just meddling in their adult son's life. And Baba and Pete really turn that relationship on its head. I mean, if he could climb back into the womb, he would. <laughs> you know, he really wants to be with his mama every second of the day. He gets very jealous of anyone like the funeral home's emotional support goat who uh, steals Baba's attention from him in any way and you know he's really kind of struggling with just you know how how best to deal with you know wanting to sort of be in a primary relationship with his mother but also just having to be a man in the world so get ready for goats 
Robo Babies, and so many other things in season two of Teenage Youth in Asia, which is going to be on Adult Swim on July 26th and the next day on Max as well. Allison, Alyssa, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. And if you've seen this show, you know it is just such an Adult Swim show. And I mean that as a compliment for sure. You never know what's coming next on this show and some of the off-the-wall stuff that happens and especially like partying being mandated I thought was pretty funny mandated by the state too by the way and there's just some other really crazy stuff that happens throughout this I've got a chance to see some of the first few episodes early it's bonkers I'm not sure you're ready for what's coming in Teenage Euthanasia season two now on Adult Swim and streaming on Max too by the way so when you watch it on Adult Swim at midnight you can watch it the next day on Max as well. Again, thanks to Allison Levy and Alyssa Nunning for joining me to talk about some teenage euthanasia at Comic-Con this year. Up next, going to go to the most popular booth on the show floor. It was the Funko booth. I got a chance to sit down with Funko Vice President David Beret, and I'll do that next. I'm James Witham. This is my Comic-Con recap, part two, on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, everyone. This is artist Nicholas Scott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. I think it's safe to say that the number one place you need to be at Comic-Con any year, especially 2023, is Funkoville at the Funko booth. It's the biggest showstopper on the floor for sure. And I have Vice President Extraordinaire, the king of Funko, if you will, David Bure. David, how you doing, man? I'm good. I don't know about that, but I'm good. Yeah, yeah. You guys seem to find a way to top yourselves every year. I don't know how you do it. Last year was such a wow factor for Funkoville. Yeah. How did you guys want to turn it up even more this year? Because I feel like somehow you made it. You managed to do it. Yeah. Well, San Diego is a great partner, and it, you know, starts with them, and and you know, allowing us to do this. I think. For us, we didn't just want to expand, expand. We wanted to expand if we had the right things to talk about. Obviously, we got our portfolio of brands, Mondo, Loungefly, Funko Games, Funko. But when we were releasing, you know, Bitty Pop, when we were releasing Rewind kind of at this time, it just made sense to expand. So we talked to San Diego, we were able to do it. And I think it's, I mean, we've doubled in size. And I think it's one of the largest installations on the floor for a single vendor that's uh, ever been at San Diego. Talk about how you choose to expand when you choose to choose to expand, like the baby pops, how much is the fan response kind of where you guys gear to where you want to go? Yeah, I mean, we'll start talking about San Diego for next year, like, you know, next month to start planning. We have our product roadmap, but I think what really turned it up was when we released Biddy Pop earlier, in, in that example, earlier this spring, like we saw an incredible response. So. That one we chased into a little bit because we knew we wanted the fans to be able to celebrate it with exclusive product and had to be a part of this experience. So we're, we're capable to move that fast, but typically we'll start to plan next year, next month. We'll have our product roadmap. These are the things we want to you know, uh, promote. Like Pop Yourself is one of the things here that's behind closed doors, but already next year we're kind of thinking through how the how the fans can engage with this in Funkoville so as an example absolutely you talked yeah. about pop yourself so yeah. I want to kind of gravitate and yeah, towards yeah. that a little bit I got a little bit of hands-on just a couple minutes ago yeah, yeah. with that give fans a tease a little bit of what they can expect you know all the because op- there was a lot more options than even I expected yeah yeah so it exists in our store today for us that the just the entire brand it's about it's a narrative changer because it's it, today we connect fans to fandoms across all our portfolio of brands. It's a very different space when you're connecting people to themselves, their other interests, their family members, uh, their loved ones, all of it. It's a very personal space. It's kind of a privilege for Funko to be in, and we really focus on with the assortment. It's like how, well, how does 
fans get to be Funko Pops, how do they experience life outside of their love of all their fandoms? Life moments, weddings, engagements, having kids, all of that is going to come to life in pop form, so it's been super fun to uh, plan. And, and to, to the added items, we've added over 250 new items for launch, and there's so much more coming. We think that this is just our base, so that even this fall we're going to be releasing more items, and we have a great you know, plan as we move into 2024. I mean, it's it's a game changer as far as I'm concerned. Just yeah. based on what I saw here, I think people yeah. are really, really going to dig it. Yeah. Talk about some of your exclusives here at the show yeah. this year, because I don't. I, maybe it's just me. I almost feel like the exclusives doubled this year. There's just yeah. so many. I mean, from from fairly odd parents to yeah. to the question, do you have a few favorites that you can kind of highlight that you were like, I can't wait to bring this. I couldn't wait to bring this to the con this year. Yeah, so I, I really love our Blockbuster Rewind line. That's one of the new ones that's debuting that helped Funkoville uh, expand like we were talking earlier. It's really innovation and uh, nostalgia tied into one. For those who remember Blockbuster and kind of cherish what that was, it's super fun. There, there are three and three quarter figures. There's a chance for a chase. The, the packaging, like Soda, which I thought was awesome packaging, the innovation of the, the VHS finding so it feels and sounds, the clicking and all of it is authentic to like a real VHS. It comes with a character card, which is like a membership card. So, and it's debuting. That's another thing we haven't done. Like we were debuting the full line. This is our full wave one assortment. The only place you can get it early is at San Diego. So I'm super excited about that in addition to really kind of everything. I have favorites across all our portfolio brands. So here's what you do, you guys did, David. And yeah. you knew what you were doing when you did it, and I love that. Yeah. You, you're, you're talking to fans like myself. I, I look at the Disney, and I see the white plastic yeah. case for the VHS, and I was like, that small, minute detail yeah. makes me, that makes me want it almost in the more than the figure inside, just yeah. because you tap into that nostalgia. How much of those just little details talk about? Because I feel like that something like that just makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, our, we, I, we have the best creative team. And, and yes, I, I, I actually remember like hearing secondhand this, this, conver this exact conversation we're having about obsessing over the details. And it needed to be authentic to what the VHS was. And I know that there was backward to find out like the original factories and everything of how it was done so we could replicate it. And that all the credit goes to our creatives and Mike Becker and the, that entire team who, who obsess over those details because they know that it'll resonate with fans. I love what you guys do with, you, you take popular characters from like Marvel, DC, things like that. And obviously you, you bring unique pops for those, but then you take niche characters like the question from DC we yeah, have yeah. this year yeah. and you bring them in as exclusives. What makes you all decide to kind of take niche characters like that that have maybe been underserviced and use yeah. them ex as exclusives? Do you feel like there's advantages to that? There? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, first of all, that's the beauty of pop, that we can create, you know, in that form factor, we can create so many different licenses, so many different characters. But it's absolutely important. And we, we how we do it is we listen to fans. Like, we're not, you know, that, that's, a, that's a big part of what we do. And we know, like, even within fandoms, that we know that, and cons is a great place to do it. And specifically, if it's only on the con floor, maybe we do something smaller, shared with Funko.com. Like, we can do that. It doesn't have to be this, you know, massive run, or it could be this massive run because it's this underserved character that everyone wants, and and that's great too. But we look at all that. But we, at first, it starts with the fans. It always starts with the fans. 
people listening. Speaking of the fans, and you guys do such a wonderful job across all of your brands at listening to your fans, what's the number one thing you still hear from fans that, that, that they're wanting, that they're still looking for? Because you guys have given them so much already. Yeah. But what's the thing that you hear most from fans? Like, we'd still love to be able to see this. Yeah, I, the one that just like always comes to mind, I, I've had, I, it's been brought up twice this weekend too, so it's like constantly talked about, but the, there's a lot, the license Nintendo we don't have. And I think I think that's the one that I just hear from fans and and you know why and all of that and, and there's there's background behind that and why and I don't actually know all the details why because I want it myself I love Nintendo who wouldn't want that but you think about that world of characters that you know we can bring in pop form or whatever other form oh, yeah. products. That's that's probably the one that's just obvious. That's like your white whale, David. It, it seems is like white whale. once you actually crack yeah. through that, yeah. it's going to be just this massive wave of sentiment yeah, automatically. I know. I know. So that that's yeah. I'd love to see that, but before before I let you go, David. Yeah. What's next for you guys? Because it's almost like it, for me, I look at what you guys have already done. So many wonderful things across so many different fandoms and platforms. What is next? What is the yeah. next big thing you think in Funko other than the Pop Yourself? Yeah, well, we think, well, we do think Pop Yourself is kind of next because it does kind of expand into a whole new world for Funko. But, you know, I think we're constantly looking at different ways of how fans can express fandoms. And I don't, you know, there are always things in the pipeline, things I can't talk about today. Of course. But we're always looking at different expressions, whether it's figures or something just completely different. You know, a way of that we don't have anything like in our portfolio of products across all our brands today. So that's it. And we, and again, we do listen to fans too. So if there's things that, if there's certain like licenses or influences that fans gravitate towards, like we listen to that too. I mean, and that's where I think Mike Becker and that team, you know, really can create the magic. And there's definitely things in the pipeline, but that's pretty much it. Well, the magic is still happening yeah, here at yeah, Comic-Con yeah. for at least another couple days. But, I mean, Funko's an all-year-round type thing, so make sure yeah. you're enjoying every little bit of it, David Bray. Thank you so much yeah, thank for you. your thanks time. For I really me. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I cannot begin to describe the sheer massive humanity that was just all around the Funko booth on the show floor at Comic-Con this year. Whether they, were, whether they had a wristband or not to be in line, they were there, and there were just so many options to choose from from Funko and the way that this thing has expanded and grown in such smart and incredible ways. And then you've got Pop Yourself, which when I got a chance to do it, I was so thrilled with how easy it was and how many options that they were. Yeah, I got a microphone in one hand and a lightsaber in the other. If you want to see how my Pop Yourself thing turned out, you go to our Instagram at Down and Nerdy 757. I'll have it on TikTok at Down and Nerdy Pod as well and a bunch of other stuff because it was just such a fun experience. And it's one of those things that, yeah, you want to place yourself amongst your fandom. That is one way that you could do it for sure. And I think this is going to be one of the most exciting parts about Comic-Con next year. We'll just have to wait and see. Again, thanks to Dave Beret, Vice President of Brand and Marketing, for joining me to talk about all things Funko at Comic-Con. Up next, I'll talk about my experience with some of the other activations. I'll talk about Adult Swim. I'll talk about Jury Duty. I'll even talk about the Nat Geo Party. I'll do that all next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This is Joe Henderson, showrunner, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Last week, I told you about my experiences outside of the con at some of the activations and experiences. This time, let's talk about Friday and Saturday because there really wasn't anything going on on Sunday as far as experiences go for me anyway. So I wanted to talk about the Adult Swim Festival that was happening. It was right behind the convention center, literally like right behind it. So you go in there and it was very much a carnival vibe, but it was like carnival-esque and I will say that for a reason because they had first of all they had like an homage to Pop-Tarts it was like this thing you walked in and it was like a fancy dining restaurant based on Pop-Tarts which I thought was really funny but the highlight for me was that they had the giant hot dog this giant hot dog you could ride like an inflatable bull and when people are on the hot dog there were people that were standing in line and around that they had throwing little soft foam balls at the people that were actually riding the hot dog. Pretty entertaining. Nobody got hurt. Everybody was a good sport about it. It was just kind of funny for me. Anyway, especially since I didn't ride the hot dog. I did stand in line for a My Adventures with Superman t-shirt, and that was the only Superman shirt that they had. Everything else was Adult Swim related, which, of course, is the Adult Swim Festival, and My Adventures with Superman is on Adult Swim. I waited in line for that shirt because I wanted it, so I did. What was the centerpiece of it, though, was this giant stage. I mean, giant concert-level stage where they're playing music at 11. And it was all uh, related to Adult Swim and things like that. So if you were like a Metalocalypse fan or something like that, you were enjoying the music while you were enjoying the festivities as well. But they had like skee-ball. They had other carnival games there as well where you could win prizes. And so that was that was certainly fun. They had a Rick and Morty mini golf, which I didn't get a chance to play because I had someplace else that I needed to be at the time, didn't have time to wait in that line as well. But it looked really fun, and it was just a it was a good thing. It was right off the water. You know, you could do this stuff outside and just walk around. It, it wasn't cramped. It wasn't a cramped space which, space, which I thought was really, really good and smart, that they gave you some pl- plenty of room to walk around. And then they had these giant inflatables, like the wacky inflatable arm flailing tube band thing, but it was of adult swim characters. So you had characters from like Royal Crackers were up there. You also had characters from 
YOLO Silver Destiny and so, some others just kind of, and that was kind of what guided you to where the front entrance was for the whole thing. And there was a, a giant like squid billies and robot chicken on top of everything. It was just fun. If you were an adult swim fan of pretty much any generation or any, any level, you could find something to point out for your fandom and go, oh yeah, that that's what I'm here for sort of thing. So I thought they did a great job at representing pretty much the entire scope of what Adult Swim has done over the years. So if you got a chance to go to it too, I'm sure you had as good a time as I did. Now, then I went to Jury Duty, which was an activation. It was, it was a nighttime thing through Amazon Freebie. But I will say that we waited in a pretty long line. And I'm not the guy that's going to be like, I'm impressed. I'm not going to wait in line. I have no problem waiting in line. What I thought was interesting was, is this was like the priority access line. And it was super, super long. And I'm talking that we waited in line, the people I was with, and I waited in line for about an hour and 15 minutes plus to get inside. And when we did, here's the thing. Usually you see stuff that's it's very themed. There's no doubt where you are and why you're there for, and, and what it is. So they did have a couple of little like photo areas and things like that that were themed towards jury duty. There wasn't a whole lot of signage. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, themed things around or anything like that. It was just kind of a party, which is fine, by the way. No problem with that. But it's not what you typically expect from a Comic-Con event. Now, they had this giant wheel that people were spinning for prizes, and somebody won, like, a, a, a trip for, you know, Margaritaville, the hotel. Like, a two-night stay at a Margaritaville pretty much anywhere or something like that. I'm paraphrasing because I don't exactly remember what the prize was. They had this dude up there to pose for like five, 10 pictures and it was starting to get awkward at one point. Everybody's, you know, listening to music and having a good time. And this guy's, you know, kind of awkwardly smiling and posing for photos that I don't think he realized what he was getting himself into. So that was interesting. But I mean, that this was exactly the opposite though. There wasn't a ton of room to really move around. They had great music, but you couldn't really dance because there was no place to do so. There was just so many people in there that you couldn't really move around a whole lot. But it was still a good time, and if you and if you enjoy a good party, it was certainly it was certainly that for sure. So that experience could have been, I thought, themed a little bit better and represented the brand a little bit better. But again, not a deal breaker because it was still a fun time with with good people. But speaking of the Margaritaville, that's exactly where the National Geographic party was at Comic-Con. It was the National Geographic Comic-Con Lounge. And I think Nat Geo Party is my favorite party at Comic-Con. They always put on a, a, a good time. They always have really fun displays and things going on. And this one was actually themed really well. They had these really good popsicles. I couldn't eat them because they were filled with Oreos and, and I'm gluten intolerant, so I couldn't I couldn't eat them. So, But they looked fantastic as far as I'm concerned. They had the pool themed there with some of their shows and they've got Running Wild, which is one of their shows that's going to be coming out. And they had Explorers Bertie Gregory and Jeff Jenkins that were there milling about the party as well. And there were, there were some other, I saw Liz DeSilver and Derek Bacher from Funko. They were there and some others that were just having a really good time. And there was, and again, this was outdoors. It was on like a rooftop type thing. It's perfect for San Diego weather. And you could hear your friends and that you were talking to and things like that. There was still plenty of music, plenty of fun, but you could actually hear what you were doing and saying and things like that. And there was a really fun activation that they had up there where it was a photo booth for, for their Arctic adventures thing they had up there where you had to pretend to be lost on a mountain. They'd like superimpose it in the background and they had like winter clothing that you could put on and stuff. That was fun for sure. And it was just a quick little thing. 
But you could just tell everybody was was happy, having a good time. It was a Saturday night. It's like one of the, like, you almost call it like a rap party for the con. Everybody's got their last party or last thing that they go to. And this was that perfect thing on a Saturday night when you know Sunday is going to be a little bit more of a chill day. But National Geographic knows how to represent their brands and splash things up there. Some of the coolest swag I got, too, was there was a bag that they gave out after that party. And it was like, I'm not saying it's waterproof because I haven't tested it yet, but it looks pretty freaking waterproof. We're going to be using it as like a beach bag and, and like a travel bag when we go to like parks and things like that because it, it looks like it's got that good durability to it. Like now, if anybody's going to know what you need to bring with you on some, some sort of adventure, I'd say National Geographic has a pretty good handle on that. I'm just saying maybe they might have a little experience in that area. But it was a fun party. It was a lot of fun stuff going on there. Everybody was happy. Everybody was having a good time. And it's just it's just one of those moments where you go, yeah, this is what this is what Comic-Con's all about. Having fun and celebrating fandoms and I think National Geographic and Comic-Con go really well together anyway. So those were some more fun experiences that I had at Comic-Con. But I do want to take a break from Comic-Con for a second because we had the Marvel Secret Invasion finale. They came out this week, and I will talk about that flaming dumpster fire with spoilers next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The secret is out, and the secret is is that Secret Invasion is a snooze, quite frankly. And it's time for my spoiler-filled review of the season finale, hopefully series finale, of this thing. And I understood wanting to give Nick Fury spotlight give the scrolls story its own spotlight in this series but it was just so miserably executed the writing was lazy and boring the stakes never really seemed high i'm sorry they just didn't i get it there was you know potential nuclear attacks and we're wagging the dog here and all this other stuff and the president's supposedly an idiot roadie's a scroll and it seems like all the odds are against nick fury except they're not and then you've got, you know, we, we lose Talos. And that sucked. But at the same time, it didn't really have that much of an emotional impact for me. And it's not because I didn't like Talos as a character. It was just, you didn't give me enough of a reason. And I kind of, you know, I did like the back and forth between Talos and Fury. I enjoyed that. But they also didn't necessarily give me enough of that. And then you just had... I, you know, he was old man Fury at first. Then you kind of see the old Fury start to drift back in a little bit. But it's almost like they didn't know what kind of a Fury they wanted to give us. Did you want to give us the more humorous Fury? Did you want to give us the more serious Fury? Did you want to give us a guy that's, you know, maybe lost a step and is unsure of himself? We saw all those Furies at one point or another in this season. And and just the one we ended up with, I, just, I don't know. I... I I was left with more questions than answers. And the Super Scroll thing, that should have been a big deal, right? That should have been a huge deal. But I'm stuck sitting here wondering, okay, well, you know, Carol Danvers was the last piece. I get that. But how on earth did the Scrolls identify code and, you know, be able to mix down and, and figure out whose DNA this all was? Like Korg, how the hell did they get Korg's DNA? You know, like, Mantis, how on earth did they get that? Did they explain that in one of the episodes and I just fell asleep or something? Because I did fall asleep watching almost every episode of this season. Seriously. 
Not even kidding. That's not me trying to be funny. That's me being 100% serious. Now, of course, I went back and watched the parts that I missed drowsily, of course. But uh, this thing just had absolutely nothing interesting to bring to the table. It's not enough. And Gaia's a character who, you know, now the argument is, well, is she the most powerful in the MCU? I mean, maybe, given the fact that you gave her the powers of, you know, most of the Avengers and the Guardians and things like that, and she can just Shang Tsung her way into those powers however she wants, and you don't even transform parts of her body at times. So, yeah, maybe she's the most powerful. But at the same time, didn't feel like that, did it? Honestly, it didn't to me. It's, it felt like she could do whatever the hell she wants, but that's not what we were presented. And even the fight scene that we have between Gaia and, and Gravik should have had much, much more of a wow factor. It was just power palooza for the sake of power palooza. First of all, this, and I'm not usually the guy that says the CG was awful. The CG, CGI was awful. But you know what? kind of was. It kind of was. So I'm, I'm going to throw that card out there as well. I don't think that this... See, I don't think that the negativity surrounding this season, and I'm not the only one that feels this way, has anything to do with Marvel fatigue. I get that maybe there is Marvel fatigue and just superhero fatigue in general. I would understand that completely because we're getting a lot of it and maybe it makes us look at things a little bit more harshly. I think it has mostly to do with the fact that this thing, this particular season, this particular show, Secret Invasion, was lazily put together, almost thrown together. And then one of the other scenes that bothered me too, it's like, how do you let this go? When they're when they're letting when Guy is letting everybody out of their pods that's been trapped by the scrolls in that basement, and everybody, literally everybody, seems to be able to be woken up and just kind of walk right out. They just kind of walk right out. They're you know they're they're dazed, but they're okay. Rhodey, when they wake up, Rhodey, he can't walk. They gotta carry the poor dude. He's gotta you know he's stumbling. He looks like he's you know half dead in there. Maybe he's been in there longer than some of the others. I get that. But literally everybody else, regular people, just wake up all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and they're like, all right, yeah, we're time. Let's get on out of here sort of thing. It just made no sense to me that they would do that. I'm sorry. I just, I, I could find nothing redeeming about the show. But if what upsets you about the show is Nick Fury kissing his wife when she's a squirrel, grow up. I mean, come on. That, that's what you're going to nitpick? That was, that, that was at least... A beautiful moment between a man and his wife. I will give them that. You know, tra- you know, accepting her for if in her true form. That was that was one of the only good moments of this entire show, as far as I'm concerned. And then they kind of leave us with basically nothing and no tease of what's ahead, really, and no st- again, no stakes. Does this lead us into the Marvels? I don't know. I guess maybe. I'm just frustrated. This. This was a huge missed opportunity for a really good like espionage type thing or a really good mystery thriller. And they blew it about as bad as Marvel's ever blown anything. And I'm going all the way back to like Fantastic Four level blowing it. I think this was that bad. Secret Invasion, huge disappointment for me. It's time to start talking about Comic-Con again. I'm sick of this thing. Let's get some of the nerd news. Let's talk winners and losers and more coming up next. I'm James Witham, and this is 
the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is IDW Senior Staff Writer and Editor Tom Waltz, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Now that the dust has settled, who ruled Comic-Con? It's time for nerd news, and I actually want to start out with my winners and losers from the con. I'm going to give you four winners, according to me, and four losers, just by, based on my observations. And these are, n- are no particular order, by the way. First winner I have is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just in general, because Mutant Mayhem was one of the most popular things in Hall H this year, easily. I know it wasn't a crowded field, but still. And then they had the off-site with the free pepperoni pizza and the big displays. They had a big display at the Nickelodeon booth. You had all the, the excitement surrounding The Last Ronin 2 at the IDW booth. There were all kinds of Ninja Turtles exclusive merchandise that you could get as far as figures and stuff like that from, from NECA and the loyal subjects. Yeah, Turtles were everywhere on the show floor, outside the show floor, in the panel rooms. Turtles was everywhere. This is how you make your presence felt at Comic-Con, regardless of the situation. Ninja Turtles proved that it was the king of Comic-Con this year, for sure, as far as I'm concerned. And the second big winner, and I think that, you know, I mentioned this with my conversation with David Bray earlier, was Funko. Nobody makes a statement on the show floor like Funko does. Not just because of the sheer size of the booths that they bring and having their Funkoville, but the fact that they always know how to highlight their newer products, like the like the blockbuster video thing that they had. That was that was a sh- that was a big showpiece, quite frankly, giving Loungefly more room to stretch their legs this year because Loungefly is growing as a brand and Mondo as well. They just knew exactly how to make their presence felt on the floor and make people know exactly where Funko was. You didn't have to look at your map. You didn't have to look at the numbers on the ceiling. No, no. You knew where Funko is. And it was constantly just shoulder to shoulder packed the entire time I was on the show floor. So yeah, Funko, obviously a big winner. Another one for me was IDW Publishing. So much has been talked about with IDW over the years. And they've been in the news for, for a lot of troubles that they've had as far as, you know, sales, things like that. Well, guess what? They had one of the bigger presences on the show floor. The booth was massive. The signing lines seemed like they were always long. They had some really great variants. They had the wow factor of the last Ronin 2 that they got to talk about with Turtles. And there was just a little bit of something for everyone, quite frankly, at the Funko, excuse me, at the IDW booth. And as far as comic book publishers go, I feel like they really made a statement. This year wasn't just with Turtles, but with other things as well. I feel like they made their presence felt for sure and brought back the wow factor that is IDW. So are they back? I think they probably are at this point. Only time will tell, but it seems like things have never been better to be a fan of IDW. The other winner I have in the final one is the Hall H line. It just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of camping out for days to get into Hall H. Part of that was the lack of Hall H panels. Part of that was the, you know, the fact that there weren't many things to do on specific days. There weren't any big name, well, I shouldn't say there weren't any. There weren't as many big name panels that people were waiting for. So I just, there were times where I watched people walk right in. And that line shrank and disappeared 
quicker than I've ever seen it. There were times I walked by, there was no line. And that's never happened in all of the years that I've gone to Comic-Con. So this, if you wanted to get into Hall H just to say you could get in, this was the year to do that. Hopefully, you, if you were at the con, you got a chance to take advantage of it. My losers, and I'll go through these quickly because these should be obvious already. DC Studios, one of my big losers. Zero presence other than some merch for, for Blue Beetle or anything else that's upcoming. I get it. I really do. The universe is going to be resetting. Superman Legacy, you know, Creature Commandos, you have that coming up. But guess what? You have Creature Commandos coming up. You have Blue Beetle coming up. I, if you don't, if you want to just flush Aquaman at this point, I understand, okay? That one's probably going to flop regardless because of the circumstances that we're presented with. But Blue Beetle is something they should have put more of a spotlight on. You know what I saw for Blue Beetle? A couple of shirts at the DC booth, a hat, and I got handed a Reese's cup with Blue Beetle packaging on it as I was walking through the gas lamp. That was pretty much it. I'm sure I missed a couple things, but this is supposed to be a movie that's coming out in less than a month. And there was like nothing presence-wise for this movie. So I'm not talking about DC Comics. I think DC Comics did well. I think McFarland did well. I think they had some really good lines for, for that stuff. I, I picked up a couple of exclusives from McFarland while I was there. My point is the DC Studios specifically dropped the ball and an opportunity to do something because, hey, if Paramount could find a way to promote Turtles without actors, then DC Studios certainly could have figured out a way to promote Blue Beetle and some other projects by doing the same thing. I thought Marvel was another big loser, quite frankly, and that's Marvel across the board. Basically nothing for the Marvels. Secret Invasion's finale was coming up, and again, nothing. Now... You heard what I had to say about it earlier. It was a dumpster fire. Maybe they knew it and just didn't want to bring any more attention to it. I don't know. But it's not like Marvel has nothing to talk about. Not not a lot, but not nothing to talk about. And their lines were a mess the entire time. I, the entire time at their merchant. All I heard was people complaining on the show floor about the lines at the Marvel booth for the merch. It's just awful horrible the way that that thing goes through and sure they had comics to talk about they had some announcements to make but there was no buzz at all the only buzz they had was when Cosmo was doing his paw signing at the booth and quite frankly that was upstaged by the dog that was walking around the show floor with a lightsaber in his mouth which was very cute no shade against Cosmo loved Cosmo but at the same time that dog stole the show as far as dogs go on the show floor with the lightsaber in its mouth. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you, you, you saw the dog if you were on the show floor, so you understand. I'm just, it was just very disappointing. Yeah, they had some signings with some good lines and stuff like that, but overall, it, it, you're Marvel. You should, you should do better, and you should, you should be able to have more of a presence than you did. I thought Prime Video was another huge loser. Yeah, we had the Invincible trailer. I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But there was no real presence for Invincible. No real presence at all for the boys, for Gen, for Gen V. And you need, I'm sorry, yeah, it's a boys spinoff. People are probably going to watch for that reason. But I thought Gen V was a show that needed buzz. They really, really did. Wheel of Time certainly did as well. Wheel of Time was non-existent at Comic-Con. Good Omens, a little bit more of a presence. But by and large, yeah, the Prime Video, who has a ton of projects to promote, 
almost a goose egg as far as buzz, as far as I'm concerned. Netflix was another big loser other than One Piece. The One Piece trailer, which I'll talk about again here in a second, was was very impressive. But that almost doesn't have a ton to do with them. They, again, another... They, they had a Castlevania project, Castlevania Nocturne, that's going to be coming out in September. Just announced that, which I'm excited about, but, you know, it could have had a presence. In, and that's animation! You certainly could have had some sort of a presence for that at Comic-Con and made more of a buzz about it. You've got a Gal Gadot movie coming up. That's gotten... I mean, there was there was billboards and things like that. There were there were raps, but that's it. You could have, again, made the, taken the opportunity to get a little bit more of a splash and didn't take it. I'm just going to be surprised to see what the plan is going forward for some of these other studios during Comic-Con. I want to get through some of this stuff quickly. I want us to touch on some of the Star Trek news. We know that Strange New Worlds Episode 9 of Season 2 is going to be a musical episode featuring 10 original songs, which I think is going to be very interesting and unique, and I like the way that Strange New Worlds continues to push the envelope as far as Star Trek storytelling is concerned, and that was another booth that was very popular, the Star Trek booth, and bravo to them for putting on a good experience for Trekkies. Lower Deck Season 4 are going to be coming on September the 7th, and it looks like, you know, the crew's finally going to try and get the respect that they think that they richly deserve and not just, you know, be stuck on the lower decks forever. So it looks like that's what's going to be coming up this season. And then you have that final season of Discovery, and they dropped a five-minute sneak peek at the final season. And Michael Burnham is insane. Just grabbing onto a ship that's in mid-warp and trying to destroy... I mean, it it was incredible. If you saw the footage, if you didn't, yeah, get on over to YouTube because it's up there right now. You could see it. And we'll see that in early... 2024 yeah star trek I-, I thought made a very nice wow factor in the panels that they did and again they brought and presented something bravo to them for that then you did have the invincible season two trailer we know that the new season going to be coming now on november the third on prime video we have a standalone adam eve episode though that dropped on july the 21st if you want to go watch that and you didn't know about it but you know we're worried now that our boy mark grayson Going to be turning into his dad. Going to be turning into Omni-Man. We see, I don't necessarily think flashes of that because it's just a teaser, so you don't get a ton. What you do get is a lot of voiceover, a lot of peaks of characters we already know, no real hint about you know exactly what's going to be going on in Season 2. But you're, again, you're going to see the rivalry between Invincible and Omni-Man. That's going to be present in this season, it seems like. But there's going to be plenty of new threats as well. And they announced... So many new voice cast members that I can't possibly list them all here because it would take me almost the entire rest of the show. So, yeah, there's reason to be excited about the second season of Invincible, and I'm excited that it's coming, too. I was just, you know, baffled that there wasn't something more that they could do on the show floor for it. That's all. Now, if you want to talk about a trailer, I mean, statement, it's the One Piece live action trailer. That will be coming to Netflix. That series coming up. On August the 31st. So that is going to be coming up a little bit sooner. And you've got Luffy and the Straw Hat crew. And I'll tell you. Right now. That that looks like a faithful adaptation. Some stuff that was. Kind of drawn right from the manga. You know. Nothing exactly I don't think. But that scene with Zoro. And Luffy. You know the one I'm talking about if you're a One Piece fan. It, It. it certainly seems like on the surface they're taking that particular scene seriously, but just this was a this was a group 
that was easy to love. Even if you're not familiar with One Piece, this was an, a group that was easy to love, easy to root for in this trailer, and especially Luffy, who just grabbed your attention immediately. So it looks like this thing was cast pretty well. It looks like that the character designs were done very well. I, I like the uniqueness of some of the characters that are brought out. I, I'll admit that I'm not familiar with all of them myself. I love the Jolly Roger that they brought out and how, how crazy silly it looks, which, again, looks right out of the manga. So, yeah, I think that the, the hype for this has been justified, and I think this trailer just maybe eases some concerns for some diehard One Piece fans, or at least I hope it does. And I'm looking forward to this one coming out on August the 31st. Finally, AMC made their usual splash, not just with the off-site with the Immortal Universe, but Walking Dead stuff as well. We've got Daryl Dixon, Walking Dead Daryl Dixon spinoff. That'll be coming on Sunday, September the 10th on AMC and AMC+. Plus. It's already going to have a second season. And yeah, we get to see Daryl in France. We get to see him traipsing through France and, you know, trying to save a, a young boy. First of all, I'm getting, I'm getting Last of Us vibes, right? This is what I'm finding out. And then it kind of turns on its head a little bit, and you see the nuns, you know, get all armed up and everything. And it's like, you know, the let's save humanity sort of thing. Now, I didn't get to see the first 10 minutes at the panel like some people did. But at the same time, it was, it, it certainly made its impression. And I don't know how good this is going to be, but I do think it's going to have a little bit more heart to it. I do, I do think that it's going to have a little bit different tone story-wise than you're used to from The Walking Dead. So hopefully it's a spinoff worth spinning anyway. You also have The Walking Dead, season, Fear the Walking Dead, Season 8B, which is going to be coming on October the 22nd. We know that that's going to be happening. Uh, to me, that's, that's the show that should have ended a long time ago, but that's just me. And then we finally have the Rick and Michonne series title. It's going to be The Walking Dead, The One who live and that is going to be coming up with of course the two actors coming back to reprise the roles that's not going to be coming back though until 2024 we don't have a hard release date for that the teaser eh, I mean, it, it's a teaser didn't reveal a whole lot with that unfortunately then we get to see Anne Rice's interview with the vampire which is going to have its second season coming up as well so we get to see there's a new coven for Louis and Claudia, and not only that, but, you know, this theater of the vampires, <laughs> I gotta be honest, it looks a little weird, creepy, but that's, you know, that kind of fits with the show, And but when Louise sees Lestat on that painting on the wall, and the look on his face is priceless, I think this is gonna be a very weird and intense season of Interview with the Vampire, the second season, is going to be coming up. No, again, no firm release date for that either. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hope you enjoyed my coverage of San Diego Comic Con 2023 this year. You can, if you've missed some of it or you want to relive it, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. And don't forget, show's going to start publishing on Mondays now, moving from Fridays to Mondays. It was just time for a change, give myself a little bit more time to put the shows together on the weekends and things like that. So the next episode is going to be coming out on Monday. 
So don't look for it on Friday. Look for it on Monday. But remember, more importantly than that, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.